Hello and welcome to the 250, the podcast where good or bad, handsome or ugly, rich or poor, we're all equal now. I'm Jonathan and with me as always is my co-host Douglas. How are you doing, Douglas? I'm good. This is the first time you've asked me. I'm doing very well. (laughs) First take, wonder. If this Uh is your first time tuning into the 250, we have taken a snapshot of IMDb's top 250 movies of all time as of January 2020. And we've begun watching them from number 250 through to number one. In this podcast, we discuss our opinions, our thoughts, and our reactions to the movies within. Today's movie, number 208, is Barry Lyndon. An account of an 18th century Irish farm boy by the name of Redmond Barry, a series of events and circumstances see him use his cunning and wit to advance through society in an aristocratic England and his gradual transformation into a noble. Uh, It's written and directed by Stanley Kubrick, our first of five Kubrick films on the 250. He is a big winner, it would seem. Sure is, yeah. Uh, So, for those who aren't familiar, he did 2001 Space Odyssey, Clockwork Orange, The Shining, Full Metal Jacket, and Doctor Strangelove. Uh, And the film was based on an original novel by William Makepeace Thackeray. 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 Uh, Neither Jonathan nor I have seen this film before. And I think this is actually my first Kubrick film. I've made a lot of jokes about uh, in the acting world, there's this thing that uh, directors sometimes do where they Kubrick their actors, which is to say that they treat their actors very poorly on set and get the crew to treat them very poorly in order to pull out the rawest emotion out of them. I think that happens in The Shining. I don't think it happens across any of his other films, but it very notoriously happened in The Shining, I think. Someone did that in one of the other films we watched. Mm. Mm. Which was it? They just treated them like absolute garbage. And then, I mean, it's, you know, method acting to the fucking highest form. But yeah, he's he's a bit of a, allegedly, from what I have read of Stanley Kubrick's history, he's a picky guy and uh, a little bit hard to work with. On occasion, because he's very perfectionistic to the point where you can do a hundred takes in order to find that special something in a magic take, which I uh, can account this does happen a couple of times in the making of Barry Lyndon. But all that being said, I really enjoy this. I think this is a great uh, first Kubrick entry. There are some things that didn't quite gel with me, but uh, across the board, I think it's, yeah, a pretty solid fucking film. It's an interesting one. Hmm. Look, this is the most unprofessional. I'm so Jonathan hungry. I've got a eating, mouthful of fucking sweet potato. I'm eating, I'm eating mid-podcast. Yeah. My dogs has a little spiel going. I can I can eat a bunch I of salad. food now. Um, yeah. yeah, it was an interesting one. It's, um, I guess, plot-wise, not to get into any details, but I'm very mixed on the plot. Uh, and I guess, I guess I'll expound on that a bit further later. Mm. But it is a film, sorry, a book from the 19th century. From the 1800s? 18th century. 18th century? Pretty sure. Wait, wait hold up. Barry 1844 Linden. was the yeah, luck of Barry Lyndon. The 19th century. 19th um, century, yeah. The way that it's written, I realized after kind of looking at that, reminds me a lot of some Thomas Hardy books. Yeah. Mm. Very similar kind of feel to it. Not my favorite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I knew... Uh, having watched it, I was like, "This isn't going to be one of John's hot picks of the year for uh, uh, for the two five zero." But it's, I think, the best warning I guess that I could give is, and this goes for any Kubrick film, is you don't come to Kubrick for inspiration. You come to Kubrick for 
artistic um, exploration of human condition and more often than not a very satirical look at human nature and how all humans have something rather terrible in them. And he explores that kind of theme a lot throughout his films. So I don't think you're quite going to enjoy any of Kubrick's <laughs> films if you don't enjoy this one. But you can at least appreciate the cinematography, the art, the artistry that's at hand mm. um, in the creation of the film. So I, I did a bit more snooping and I, I feel like I better understand the intentions of the, the story and the way it was told. Mm. So I don't... I don't hate it, hate it, but the first time I watched it, I, w- I didn't get it, you know? Did you pass along the term picaresque? No. Picaresque is a, a subgenre of novels um, that basically kind of details uh, they are... Uh, Forrest Gump is a very good example of a picaresque style narrative wherein it's uh, usually an autobiographical account it's a low-life kind of character, uh, a rogue or a, someone who's relatively cunning and they're in the lower level of society. Mm. Um, there's often no plot. It's normally just like a bunch of things that stuff, happen. Stuff and happens, then happens, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it just that's how the thing progresses. But even then, there is no real development at all. It just mm. kind of, it's a kind of waiting for Godot situation where... You, you know, you're at square one and at the end of the thing, you're still at square one, you know, like there's stuff that's happened, but you still, nothing has really changed. You know, there's never been a change of heart. There's never been any real progression. Yeah. Um, satire is often used a lot, um, which I think Barry Lyndon uses a fuck ton of satire. Um, and yeah, it's a, a very, uh, I would almost say nonsensical uh, style of storytelling. Hmm. Um, like but, a character study almost. Douglas. Yeah, but also at the same time rather realistic in the way that our lives are kind of picaresque, I think. It's just kind of a bunch of circumstances and events that all just kind of lead from one into the next, into the next, into the next. I just hope that I have a bit more growth to my life than, than they do in the <laughs> average picaresque film. Than Mr. Barry. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, 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 I get it. You know, I, I yes. understand what the intention was. Um, Just whether it's your cup of tea is a, is a different uh, kettle of fish. Yeah, don't wave your point your cup of tea around. That's it's that's a, a joke coffee, that but- that's a joke that no one else got. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't waving it around. I was just lifting it up to take a sip of it at the time that I was talking about cup uh-huh, of tea. All right, uh-huh, jeez. Uh-huh. <laughs> um. So yeah, I I guess. All that being said, it was mm. extremely entertaining. Yes, yeah. And I, I was sitting there going like, "Hmm, I don't really get this," but not like getting bored. Just kind of like, I yeah. <laughs> What's he getting at? That's kind of the thing the that I think. Here? Yeah, you kind of need to. Every time we hit a Kubrick film, it's kind of what's he trying to get at? You know, what's he what's he thinking? Um, mm. uh, behind each film, and I think that's going to be a very interesting thing to delve into as we bloody stumble across him five more times. But um, I, he's still got, you know, elements and trademarks and things like that that are spritz throughout all of his films. But I think uh, Barry Lyndon is almost the most tame out of all of them. Okay. Um, from, I don't, I mean, I still only know the rest of his filmography at a very base standpoint um, in sense that Shining is a horror. Clockwork Orange can sometimes can be considered rather horrific, I think. 
Mm-hmm. Um, 2001 A Space Odyssey can be uh, slightly horrific. And then, fuck, what's it? Uh, Doctor Strangelove is comedy, satire. And then... Full Metal Jacket. Full Metal Jacket is a tough one, apparently. Uh, right. As as told by my father, he says that it's a very tough watch. So, But that one's, like, especially war-centred. So yeah. um, I'll be interested to see what goes down in that one. We'll have to check in with our uh, 250 war correspondent while I take a, <laughs> a week off. <laughs> as uh, Jonathan suffers a stress casualty here on the 250. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I'm not sure whether any of those accounts are actually true or not, but that's kind of the base knowledge that I have heard of the rest of the other five films. So, again, in thinking that, I think that Barry Lyndon is probably the most tame out of Kubrick's entire filmography. That being said, it is still rather... Uh, I don't think any of Kubrick's films are an easy watch, so to say. They all are rather... Confronting in one way or another, I think, is mm. the the takeaway for a lot of his filmography. He strikes me as a bit of a dick, that Stanley. Mm. I think that is the general consensus, yes. Mm. Bit of a wanker. Yeah, a bit of a wanker, but a very creative wanker. So, <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, he's dead now. God bless him. God rest his soul. God rest his soul. God rest his soul. <laughs> um, well, okay. <laughs> We're just going off the fucking deep end here. Um, yeah. All this being said... Uh, Definitely a kind of technically impressive one. Mm. I was kind of sitting there thinking about why people liked it so much as I was watching it. And before I came to uh, aforementioned uh, epiphany that I will talk about afterwards, um, I was like, is it just because it's a big movie? Is it just because it's, cause, cause it's very long? Took a fuckload of time to shoot, apparently. Shitload of extras in a lot of those scenes. It's very similar to Ben-Hur, I guess, in the way that there's costume design out the wazoo, sets out the wazoo, cinematography mm. out the wazoo, extras. Mm. Yeah. Three hours long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the, you know, your your fight scenes, are, of what what, uh, what small amount there are, are pretty massive. Um, and, you know, no shortage of kind of pomp and circumstance with a whole lot. There's a... Uh, a uh, bunch of explosions and things going on, which are quite quite cool to watch, and I assume were practical. Mm. Actually, when when was it? It was like mid nineties, nineteen seventy five. Oh, mid oh geez, mid seventies. Yeah, so then yes, probably practical. Practical. <laughs> so yeah, I I and I found that very cool. There's uh, a lot of like shots that are quite pretty as well. What is? It? I think it's the. One of the jewels in Ireland? Is it jewels or is it... There's a couple of those shots where they're in England and that are just, like, so pretty because they're, like, these, like, beautiful, like, rolling hills and, and like, these, like, really nice, like, mountains and stuff in the background. Normally with a castle perched atop one of them and, yeah. Yeah. It's quite cool as um, uh, someone who's only, like, the image that pops into my head when I hear England is London, which is... Um, <laughs> Uh, seems like quite a miserable place, but, uh, you know, <laughs> Ireland seems cool, I guess. I, the Irish seem relatively jolly. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't been to Ireland. I can't make any uh, statement. Um, the cinematography was done by um, John Alcott, who uh, went on to do cinematography for both Clockwork Orange and The Shining. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, allegedly both Alcott and Kubrick went in with the mind that they wanted to paint paintings with some of the more stationary shots so it was a a lot of them looked like uh you could just take a snapshot of that 
still and it could you could just put that shit in a frame and be like oh yeah that's from like the 19th century that's a 19th century painting very nice put like the the oil filter over it like the oil painting filter <laughs> or whatever or like fucking photoshop the one and from like, like photoshop oh, yeah. 2 yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i know they're one. like oh yeah that works but yeah it's ugh, yeah there's some really gorgeous landscapes and cinematography and uh, music as well used throughout uh, Stanley Kubrick, allegedly one of his other trademarks is that he doesn't use too much original score as much as he uses pre-recorded classical music. So wow. he must have been an avid classical music listener and he uses a lot of classical pieces in his films. Uh, while there are some original compositions that have been made for Barry Lyndon, composed by Leonard Rosenman, um, a lot of them are from, you know, Classical music. Uh, the the key one uh, that gets used throughout is uh, Schubert's uh, Franz Schubert's Piano Trio Number no. Two in E flat major, oh. um, which I picked up like right away as soon as I heard it. I was like, "It's I I couldn't remember the number, but I was like Piano Trio something E flat major, and it was it was either Schubert or um, Bach. I knew it was one of those two. Right. I like classical music a lot, so it, it mellows me the fuck out. I'm into classical music. I it does get a bit grating at the in the second half, and yes. and I read so I read Roger Ebert's review and he was very defensive of that. Um, made a made a big deal about it, kind of being intentional and, and oh, absolutely. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, uh, I mean, fine. <laughs> well, I mean that's kind of a spoiler for the audience in that. I never said that. Okay. Oh, okay. I'm going to bleep that out. <laughs> Hello, current audience. Uh, you didn't hear the spoiler that Douglas just said. This is going to be a train wreck of a fucking episode already. Oh, I can yeah. Tell. Like, we've just been pumping out those top tier uh, episodes the last couple of weeks, haven't God. we? No, we have. I thought some of our past episodes have been very good most recently. It's just, we're getting to the end of the year, Jonathan. We're- I think the trick is that we're, we're getting much better at editing. That's true. Yeah, yeah. You might be onto something there. But yesterday's, uh, yesterday's last week's episode was nearly our longest episode yet, and we didn't even spend all of that time talking about the film at hand. So oh, we spent very little time talking about the film at <laughs> hand. I think that's our brand now. <laughs> Two five zero, the film, uh, the podcast where we talk about the film at hand for about mm, thirty minutes, and then talk about some other shit for like forty minutes. Thirty minutes is kind of optimistic, but yeah, 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 like yeah, yeah, roughly. To to steal some parlance from the Hello Internet podcast, uh, we are quickly becoming a. Classical podcast, which is just two dudes talking. Yep. Just just two dudes talking. That's what two, it is. That's all we got. Two white dudes talking. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. You love it. I, you know what, Douglas? I really think the world hasn't heard enough uh, uh, opinions from, from two white dudes. You know what? You know, I could use some more. Let's put some more into the I think ethos. we've got something really unique and interesting uh, to here. bring to the table. Yeah. 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 Um, anyway. <laughs> Barry Lyndon. Um, I am still not entirely sold on it. I, okay. I still that's fair. like, like I wasn't bored by it, and that's really the kicker. Like, there's nothing worse than a that a piece of media can be than boring. Yeah, a piece of a piece of a piece of media can be bad. Uh, <laughs> if it's got a heart and some interesting bits to it, it's still good. If a film is boring. If a film is Hachi, (laughs) (laughs) 
then it's just an abject failure. And this is definitely not that. It is, um, it's technically quite impressive. Uh, the story is weird. Once again, going to talk about that more in the, uh, the spoiler zone. But um, it's still very interesting. Mm. Gripping, I guess. Again, I think it's. I think the best way to put it is that it is picaresque. You know, it's um, there is no real through line, and I think that can offset some people who are looking for that through line. Mm. Um, and if you come into again, like I said, with the, I think with any Kubrick film here, if you come into it looking for a proper through line, a inspiration, you, you're not mm. going to find it with Kubrick. I don't think that's what his films are meant for. Um, so mm. Barry Lyndon is kind of like Forrest Gump, um, but the the mental condition that uh, uh, Redmond Barry has is that he's a dick. <laughs> you know what? It's I can get behind that. <laughs> <laughs> well, do we want to um, do want to head over to spoiler time? Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's flick on over to spoiler town. I, I give this one a recommendation, but not if you're depressed uh, or if you're if you're going through some shit right now. Uh, maybe give just Kubrick in general. Just give <laughs> Kubrick a skip. If you're going through through some shit right now, don't watch like the majority of the movies on this list, really. Except for our bonus ones. Our bonus ones are yeah, good. Yeah, our bonus ones are mostly fun. Mm-hmm. Even I think even Mandy's good if you're depressed. Mandy's a cracker. Oh yeah, Mandy. Mandy's a good time. Even yeah, if you, yeah, at least you could you know um, stand in the bathroom and scream and drink some vodka. You know. You know what's not a uh, good film to watch when you're depressed? What's that? Upcoming bonus episode, Annihilation. Oh, hey, <laughs> hey. Let's do it. Give it to me. All right. Well, uh, let's get that spoiler gunshot. A gunshot. What? I know exactly what I'm going to do with this one. I know. Because um, I, I said, I, <laughs> fucking goddamn it. As I said it in the cadence, I was like, shit. <laughs> Shout out to the Auntie Donna podcast. <laughs> so the, the kind of deal with this story is that um, or rather, the the argument I had heard is that uh, it's fucking damage. Heard. What's your damage, bro? Yeah. Um. So so yeah. The the film really looks at its main character as like observational and not much more. It's kind of mm. just like check out this guy. He's kind of a cunt. Um. And he's just gonna like go through and like put himself first. Uh, selfishly in every situation and get where he wants and then and you know shaky start things get better blah, 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 and then you hit the peak and then things get worse and worse and worse and then the film ends <laughs> and that's the film I think there's something to be said about uh, an interesting theme that I thought got explored here is the the argument of is someone can someone make choices within the experiences that they're given and that is they are the sum of their choices or are they a product of the environment that they're brought up in and that's just how they are regardless of the choices that they make does the environment define who they are and i think barry Lyndon explores that in a very interesting way because i i don't think he starts off as a cunt I think he actually starts off as a relatively nice and genuine human being. But because of the choices that he is forced to make um, by a higher power that is above him, you know, he, through this, all of the, you know, shady criminal acts that he has to perform in order to 
desert the army because he wants to just get the fuck out of Dodge. Like, he could have chosen to stick with the with the English army and he could have chosen to just ride that out, ride out his bloody contract or whatever for the next, like, four years or however long he still had left to serve. Mm. Or he he had that, the, the bit where he's bringing the buckets of water down and he finds the gay soldiers, which, by the way, best love. Yeah. Such yeah, a good yeah. fucking bit. <laughs> the, of, um, the officer's name, never heard that one before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so good. Uh, but that bit is very pivotal because he has that choice. It's He's presented with, do I take the officer's coat and I've overheard what's happening here right off into the sunset or do I carry on with my duties honourably and serve out my sentence? But he doesn't. And I think that's imperative in that he he doesn't play a victim to his own circumstances. He makes those choices knowingly and puts himself in these situations. And that's what leads him to be who he is, I think. Mm, yeah, I guess. He's still kind of a dick from the beginning, though. Um, okay, He's just like, oh, you know, um, I like he's kind of selfishness with the, the situation with Nora, I guess. But that's more just being a boy, you know, that's like so. being a boy who's dumb fucking in love. And I, I was expecting her to come back. I was expecting her to be the main fucking love interest. But then, like, you know, after uh, he... Uh, you know, shoots uh, Quinn in the head, and then they tell him they're like, "Oh, you gotta get out of here, kid! It's shit's hit the fan." Um, they it she never comes back because mm. that's just what infatuation when you're young is. It's you're like, I'm never gonna live if I don't have this woman. It's it's all over for me if I don't get her. And then he grows up and finds other people to fucking fulfill his you know, that hole that he obviously has in his life. Because then mm. it comes again when he finds that uh, German donkey donkey lady. The one with the kid. Or Dutch. Dutch, two. maybe probably, Dutch. Probably probably German. Oh, yeah, that's right, because he's riding towards Holland. That's right, it's probably Dutch. Well, he might not have been in Holland yet, I don't know. I don't... He was heading towards Holland, I think, at that point Holland. in time. Yeah, but anyway, that lady fills the hole in his... In that, you know, his life for that very brief second before he has to fuck off again. And mm. again, that's just like it is water off a duck's back to to Barry, um, obviously, and it's that's his personality trait that is then reinforced in the second part of the film, where he's um, basically committing adultery um, to yeah. Mrs. Linden. And that shit is set way early. His 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 kind of approach to relationships and love change throughout the film, mm. where it's like incredibly passionate in the beginning, and then. Um, uh, the second one is still, you know, it's not this heartless thing, but um, there's less it's to it. It's still pretty then- fucked. Like, you know, mm. it, he's uh, the husband's off at war and he's just been like, hey, can you give me some food? I'm a hunky officer boy and you're a lowly peasant and I'm using my station as an officer to make you say <laughs> yes. Like, it gave me that kind of vibe. So I was like, that was where I started to twig. I was like, Barry Knight not be such a likable protagonist. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, by the time he gets to, like, from the beginning, he's like, oh, I'm going to, I found this, like, uh, heiress to an estate who is... Uh, very attractive, and I'm gonna fucking take her away from her current husband. Yep, cuckold the husband. Unbelievable. I think uh, I think he's uh, just very hard headed, and uh, in general, I was gonna say in the beginning, but I think in general, he is just very, uh, yeah, like he doesn't know how to take no 
I think. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it can only be a yes. Like when the, the, when he first joins the, the English army and one of the red coats, I think a tool or something is his name, which is fucking, I love that. Cause he's being a tool <laughs> to Barry. Uh, yeah. I'm following. He starts jibbing away at Barry and then, uh, he has that other soldier next to him who's feeding him some lines so he can, you know, joust verbally with him. Yeah. Um, but it's. You know, he. You could see him seething there and going like, you know, fuck. You know, I'm. I. We need to throw down and get this shit out of the way, which I felt like was the kind of general energy for the 19th century as well. Is that that's why duels existed? That's why fucking all that they have these formal fistfights and duels and shit because it was just testosterone that they didn't know how to get out in a way that fit with their society. So they found mm. a formal way to fucking sort out arguments in a polite, inverted quotes, fashion, which fucking amazes me because it's so polite. Even the... Uh, sorry, I mean, I'm on a fucking rampage hey, at the it, moment. The um, uh, fucking... What's his name? Captain Feeney uh, at the, the beginning, the old dude with the glasses and he, he the two pistols and he sticks up Barry when he first oh, gets yeah. <laughs> He rides out of town. It's so polite. He's like, how do you do? And then, you know, that's my son, Seamus, behind you. How do you do? How do you do? You know. I love that. I love that when he like turns around and goes, how do you do? And the guy's pointing a gun at him. Yeah, yeah. How do you do? How do you do? It's so good. It's it's so polite. Everything is so... It's That's how society was at the time. It was... Mm. You had to be polite. That was kind of just common courtesy. Even if you were fucking sticking someone up and robbing them for... It was just how people talked. I guess, which is, yeah, it's amazing to see how that kind of is explored throughout the film because there's so much subtext underneath all that and men very quietly hating each other, I think, is really interesting. This is the world before the Xbox was invented. And all we had, can- all we had was we got energy and testosterone and all your only uh, uh, output for it is like chopping logs and like jewels, <laughs> very very shittily chopping logs. By mm. the way, fucking did you see the the montage where it's Barry angrily cutting logs, and he like he gets the first one, and you know that looks fine, but then he goes for the second one, and he like whiffs the first cut, and the axe like sticks into the fucking log, and he's got to like try and pull it out again. That shit killed me for some reason. Um, talking about jewels, uh, this is slightly off to the side, but the um, the fist fight he has, yes, interesting use of punch foley. Yes, uh, yeah, yep. I think it's um, it's one of the only real issues foley wise with the film where it's and it's not even it's not even that bad. It's kind of just like the the done thing to have it be it's, like, whoosh, yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> It is a lot, though. It is a lot in that one. But I don't yeah. think there's much else that's, like, quite and- as problematic. Yeah. And it's, it's, that's a very minor gripe. It's oh, more totally. just an observation yeah. of something yeah. that's kind of a bit funny. Mm. Mm. Product of the time. Something like that, Douglas. Mm-hmm. I have this note here. I feel like shootings could have been benefited by some more realistic deaths, which was in reference to the first duel, which, of course, it wasn't a realistic death because he didn't die. Because he doesn't die. Exactly. I was, yeah. like, I was really wanting him to be, like, and like, like choking and spluttering and shit yeah, yeah. Um, but of course not because yeah, yeah. Uh, and then followed by what was the deal with the will you join us for a drink guy which was immediately answered and <laughs> entirely <laughs> unnecessary for me to write down 
I always wonder if he did say, because again, that's another choice that is made for Barry. If he did sit down with them and have a drink, I wonder what would have happened. I wonder how, would they not have robbed him? Would they have got him drunk and then robbed him? Like, what's what was Captain Feeney's deal? I really wanted to find out more about his character because he was fucking, I really liked him. He gave me Christoph Waltz from Django Unchained. He gave me that kind of vibe. Uh, yeah, um, okay, yeah. Old man glasses, seemingly, you know, not that big of a deal but low-key actual, like, cold-hearted killer kind of vibe, but still very polite, you know? Absolutely excellent character, by the way. I fucking... I saw a clip from Django again the other day, and I was like, holy shit, I forgot how good Christopher Waltz was in that. Oh, mm, superb. Yeah, I don't really have many more, like... Oh, um... The narration. Yeah, I was literally just about to talk about that. I got Princess Bride vibes from it. Just the whole film in general. I got uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy vibes oh to the way that it was, way that it was performed. I guess um, <laughs> it's interesting. Um, and I once again, I, this Roger Ebert review, which I mm. which I was kind of interested by. Um, they talk about the fact that this voiceover like spoils parts of the film before they happen. True, which which is could be argued to be in like service of like the feeling of like hopelessness i guess yep, yep. maybe no i can um, see that yeah very interesting choice uh mm. i mean i get it but it's also a kubrick thing as well to he tends to allegedly put narration in a lot of his films yeah. um probably not i don't think it goes across the entirety of the film um like barry linden does but allegedly he does like having narration in his films. Um, yeah. Which I find interesting because I thought a lot of people hated narration and yet pretty much every single film in his fucking filmography is in the 250. So hmm. I think there's a lot of like uniqueness to it. Um, mm. Mm. It's a very it's a very interesting choice. No question. His delivery is very nice. And, you know, like his, uh, it does give some good pace to the film as well when there's nothing really happening it's still kind of the the narrator is feeding us information and exposition in a way that Mm. characters could have fed us that exposition but it would have felt ham-fisted so i think that's good and especially because it's based off a novel as well there's a little bit of subtext and things like that that you need to get in there and perhaps narration was the only way that Kubrick could find to work it in there is mention uh, i saw of him saying his explanation was that uh, it was already quite a long novel and he needed to use the narration to kind of keep it within that, like, three-hour boundary. Mm-hmm. Um, the film does still move very slowly. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's also uh, a culprit to dialogue and um, the actual, like, you know, some of the grand, uh, vast shots and stuff that we have that can linger for some time. Um, the the setting shots can sometimes take up a little bit of time and get you to a bit like, oh fuck, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess that's uh, for w- what it all comes down to. Um, the depiction of what is it, eighteen uh, hundreds, nineteenth uh, century, yep. uh, England and Europe makes a lot of that worth it. And as much as I might not have jived with the story, um, I, you know, I appreciate the story. I understand, the, you know, the intentions. Uh, I, I didn't jive with it super well, but I still really appreciated, you know, things like the the magician. Yeah. The yeah. bit where there's kind of just like a bunch of people walking around, like the like quote unquote gardens that are like mostly like 
like concrete or something a like courtyard or whatever yeah um and the the combat scenes are hilarious mm. because it shows just how fucking stupid i i should have researched that more i did i didn't intend to but i believe that's more or less what wars were like in europe where everyone would just wear bright oh. colors mm. that would just line up mm-hmm. and and one group of people walk yes. at the other group of people and just get shot to smith absolutely yeah 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 that is like uh traditional tactic because a lot of the time they had more men than if they if you had you knew from a tactical standpoint that you had the number advantage and you were happy to lose let's say you've got all right 10,000 soldiers against 5,000 soldiers right you got 5,000 up let's say you are happy to if you want to secure this area 5,000 men Easy as. Don't have to feed them. Don't have to pay them. They can just... We can just send them full forward. They can drop dead. And then we still secure the area. We still get to keep more... Probably more than half of our forces. And it's it's a win-win-win-win-win from a general's perspective. So it's yeah. that was done a lot. Yeah. Especially with the time it took to reload guns as well. Because in yeah. the time that they reloaded guns, the, the opposing army had already made 10 paces forward. So it's... Yeah. I feel like it's very emblematic of the the kind of just general state of like courtesy or like like social interactions which which reflect in like the jewels where it's like stand here and let a man shoot at you. <laughs> the um, the Barry Lyndon Lord Bullingdon duel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um which is gnarly by the way. I I, yeah, I really that's like a that. Great scene. That's a really mm. good scene. Um and you're just like, you know what? Uh, uh, Lord Bollington's like, no, <laughs> I'm not letting you keep this shit. Get the fuck out of my house. Yeah, because again, yeah, that's another choice. That's yeah, that I mean, that scene. There's so much subtext to that scene that's incredible. Um, mm. to to dissect in that, yeah, the Lord Bollington whiffing his first shot, and then the onseers going, you know, that's you. You got to play by the rules. That's how it goes. You fired your shot. That counts. And yep. then. Barry lining up to take his shot and then him vomiting is like the, you know, the knife in the fucking stomach of like, God, this kid is not fucking, ugh. It's, it's, I think the reason that Barry fires his own shot to the ground is I think he sees a little bit of himself in Lord Bullingdon. Right. And I think he takes pity in that. And I think he kind of goes, I I still kind of, oh, there's a part of me that, an optimistic part of me that really wants to believe that Barry knows that he's done wrong and even the whole, like, once his leg gets chopped off and at the end they're like, uh, from this point on we lose all track of Barry Lyndon. We have no idea where he goes. We don't know what he does. There's a part of me that really hopes that he feels a great sense of guilt for what he's done throughout his life and mm. he, having lost his leg and seeing this fucking kid that he generally did, like he made his childhood adolescence hell and by focusing his attention on his own son rather than uh, his stepson, um, that he, yeah, he went, I lived in a very shitty circumstance as a kid and I just put this kid through an incredibly shitty circumstance. He at least deserves a chance. Um, I think, yeah, there's a part of me that wants to hope that that's what Barry's subtext is because <laughs> I can't think of any other reason why he'd fire his gun to the ground. I just read it as um, he was, like, so deep in, like, the honourable, noble state of mind that he was just like, well, we'll both fire our shots at the ground and then, uh, 
and then we'll call it we'll a day. Be, That'll be then it. Then we'll be even, and mm. and I've done the honourable thing and letting mm-hmm. him have a go, but neither of us have died, so it's a win-win. That's and- true, yeah. And then Belinda was like, "I am not satisfied," and then yeah, it's just oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Oh. Then you got your realistic shot with Barry fucking collapsing to the ground and screaming in grim agony about the bullet in under his fucking knee. Yeah, yeah. there's your they realistic dual shot. They got that one in. Yeah. That was good. I mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. There's a duel right from the get-go as well, isn't there? There's like the, the opening shot with it, oh, is yeah. it Barry's dad, I think. It's the narration implies that his dad is having a duel and then he gets shot. I think that's what the I think you're right. Yeah. narration implies. Yeah, which is... Would explain the absence of Mr. Barry. Five five jewels then. Mm. Well, that's got to that's got to that's got to be thematic then, maybe. Mm, we need maybe. we need to get a we need to get a high school English teacher in here to get to tell us <laughs> what this means. <laughs> Why were the curtains blue? What are the what do the jewels represent? They're blue. <laughs> Mr. Smith. <laughs> Mrs. Smith. Um, I think uh, you get a nice bit of comedy in the first part, which kind of sets you up for all the tragedy that happens in the second part. Uh-huh. Um, the even the uh, the bit that comes to mind is again the Captain Feeney stand up, um, but then. Uh, Barry stepping over the log and then he still keeps his hands up and then Feeney goes, you can put your hands down now, Barry. And he's like, okay. Like, those moments are really, they're genuine. I love them. Are there many comedy moments besides that? Though? Yeah, yeah. The shit talking that they do. Uh, like oh, the one I that I was so. talking about, the shit talking between Tool and him. That whole duel can be rather comedic in that Barry is just this fucking random kid who's come in and he's ducking and weaving every single punch that this dude is throwing at him and just puts him down. Um, I find that relatively comedic. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's some good bits. And then even then, just satire in general. And then the explanation of Quinn not actually dying uh, by the uh, the captain when he's sitting, you know, there in front of candlelight having a drink. And then he's retelling how he didn't actually fire a fucking bullet at him. Um, it was all a setup. It was all a gig. That made me laugh. Sorry, he did say he shot him with a toe, a right? A toe, yep. Like off of a foot. Yeah, I believe that's the intention. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's what I get. Very interesting one. Yeah, I guess my other final thoughts that don't logically slip into anything. That opening bit, extremely horny. Very weird. <laughs> Especially because it's a cousin. I thought, because again, I thought that was like the whole, the whole premise of the film was just him bloody hitting on a cousin. And I was like, okay. <laughs> it's like... um. Woo-hoo. It's like Jude, actually. That yeah. that's the that's the film that uh, if if he had stayed with the cousin, mm. then the film becomes Jude. Jude, yep, that checks out. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I Patrick McGee was a good standout for me. The Chevalier, the one with the the heart oh, and yep. the diamond yeah, under was, his eye. He was cool. I liked him. He was awesome. Um, Very good character yeah. and well acted don't, as well. Don't see him for that long, which is a shame. Mm. Um. Mm. I liked the the little like jig, like the little dance they were doing in the beginning. Mm. I was just like, this is so like lively, yeah, like so energetic. I love yeah. this so much. This yeah. is so good. And the the bloody Irish music playing, the Celtic in the background, it's so good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which I think is like feeds back into like the that little like like secondary appreciation of this film of just like this depiction of like nineteenth century life. You know, mm. Mm. it's kind of cool. Yeah, interesting. Mm. Uh, brief moments of joy amidst all of the the chaos and destruction. I think. Yeah. Mm. Um, of the yeah. war. 
Got, got any closing thoughts for us, Douglas? Oh, um, Mrs. Linden is in Cabaret. Um, and Cabaret isn't in the 250, and I think it truly deserves to be in the 250, so I've added it into the bonus snubs. Ah, makes sense. Okay. Um, oh. Directed by Bob Fosse. Interesting. That's her... She's uh... not... Um, it's not Liza Minnelli. Liza Minnelli is the lead in Cabaret, but she's, like, a character in Cabaret. Yep. Um, which is why I know her face, because I was like, mm, why do I... <laughs> why are you... It's um, Marissa Berenson. Yes. Uh, Cabaret looks kind of interesting. You would like Cabaret. I think you'd thoroughly enjoy Cabaret. Here's the trick. The, the further we get into 250 and the more, like, miserable, depressing films we're getting into, something that's just like, it's just a It's just a mu- It's a musical. For all the bitching I do about it, it's just a little musical. It's just a fun little yeah, musical. Oh. I'm like, I'll take it. I'll Ooh. take it, sir. Please, God, anything but this, like, <laughs> depressing bullshit. <laughs> Please, God. Well, at least you know what. Okay, so I'm trying to set us up because I, I know we have a big schlog of drama coming up here on the 250. So I've been trying to prepare you and try and squeeze in some stuff in the bonuses that are not necessarily comedies, but they're not going to make you fucking depressed. So okay. I've been trying to find some ways of squeezing th- some things in here that aren't going to, yeah, just throw you into a uh, stint of depression for the next, uh, into into the new year in a state of depression. Um, we do have Life of Brian coming up, so that's that'll pep us up a little bit. Have you seen Life of Brian? I don't think I've watched it in its entirety, no. Oh, fuck. It's going to yeah. be like my sixth or seventh time watching Life of Brian, so very excited to go back into that. Hmm. Fury Road's a great time. Platoon's going to be a bit fucked, so woohoo! Um, it's not as fucked as uh, the oh fuck the Russian one that everyone always talks about. Um, the one where it's like literally they say it's like a nightmare captured on film. Uh, oh. Fuck um, something about eyes, like uh, seeing or something like that. Like see, secret, uh, the secret in their eyes. That's two thousand nine. Uh 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 uh. uh, uh, uh. Um, come and see. Come and see. Oh, maybe it is come and see. Um, cause fuck, I've heard so much about it. Uh, yeah, it is. It's come and see. Yep. 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 Is that in the 250? <gasps> oh, uh, it is. Yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah. Oh, where is it? Uh, it's pretty far in. It's like 130 something. Oh, okay. 139. I think um, you, you genuinely might have to skip that one. <laughs> <laughs> we need to, I, we legitimately do need to find a, um, a backup host. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A <laughs> a depressing movie correspondent. <laughs> Alex, we can get Alex in. Alex is maybe um, Alex is here with us for Nausicaa. Um, mm. or Alex I don't know. Or uh, or Matthew maybe. Mm. Mm. Matthew from think, the Trailer Island podcast. I think Matthew may uh may appreciate it, will appreciate it more than I will if I we're, was to watch we're it. We're both film heads. Um, yeah, mm. I could. I might. I might extend that invitation out. Drop, to him. drop it past him, mm. and and yeah, we can put we can put that official title with him. The depression <laughs> drop in, like tag it. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, official depressing movie correspondent. Yeah, yeah, a depressing official uh, depressing movie we need correspondent. A, ODMC. We need, we need a different word than movie, but uh, um, film. No, 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 maybe cinema. ODCC. Oh, that's good. Official depressing cinema correspondent. Ooh, mm, there we that go. Sounds good. Perfect. Yeah, drop them in when we um when we uh when we get on IMDb ourselves. I'll put that in. <laughs> <laughs> it'll say what, it'll be like IMDb credits. <laughs> Jonathan, host Douglas, co-host. 
What? Matthew. Me the co-host? Excuse me. Uh, uh, look, hey, man, look, I don't make the rules. It's just what IMDb says. Oh, all right. Well, yeah. And as we know, what happens on IMDb is the law. So it is. These it are is. the only 250 films that ever exist in all of cinema. There is nothing else. So there's nothing else. Uh, it's a shame. These um these extra bonus episodes we keep doing, we're actually making them up. We're just like, well, we are. Yeah, yeah. I just gave Douglas like a rundown of like he's like the concept of a film, and this is just we'll just do a big uh, improv bit where we talk about the things that we liked about it because they totally happen. Yep. Yep, it's definitely films that actually happen. You know, like they are, they are out there. They're de- if you search them, they are there. I, I'd 110% promise you. What if we did just bring like a, <laughs> a film that like does not exist to the table? We create like a fake thumbnail and everything for it. And then we just, we just riff about it. Like, but we don't, we don't talk about what the film is about prior to starting the podcast. So we both have to try and figure out. <laughs> this sounds like a comedy sketch bit. I like this. Fucking hell. <laughs> Sounds like an Auntie Donna podcast bit. All right. All right. Cut this. Where Douglas, we're heading to the trivia zone. Do you have any <laughs> t- trivia for the kids at home? I do have some trivia for, the, for all the uh, boys and girls. Um, some uh, relatively interesting ones. Um, contrary to legend, this movie did use artificial lighting in some scenes. For example, when Brian, uh, David Morley, learns he's getting a horse. However, it is true that no electronic lighting was used for the candlelit scenes. A lens built by the Carl Zeiss company for NASA, a 50mm Zeiss lens modified with the Cole Morgan adapter used in still cameras, was used to shoot scenes lit only by a candle. The, this lens had the largest aperture of any ever built for movie use, which was f0.7. Ooh, damn. Hmm. Pretty fucking neat. Hmm. Stanley Kubrick used to play the soundtrack's classical music during takes to get the actors and actresses in a better mood. He was reportedly influenced by Sergio Leone's method in Once Upon a Time in the West, which happened eight years prior. Seven years prior. My apologies. Writer, producer, and director Stanley Kubrick would often shoot a great many retakes of a scene just to get that, quote, extra something in a shot. 20 to 50 takes per scene was not uncommon. It has been claimed that Kubrick shot over 100 takes of the scene in which Barry first meets Lady Honoria Linden. Ultimately, O'Neill, who plays Barry, became so exasperated with said practice that he faced Kubrick at one point and said, quote, all right, I'll tell you what we'll do. You act out my part in this scene and then I'll imitate you, end quote. Characteristically, Kubrick reckoned that O'Neill was merely being insolent. (laughs) (laughs) What a dick. (laughs) What an absolute fucking twat. It took 42 days to edit the final duel between Barry and Lord Bullingdon. Wow. 42 fucking days. This is Martin Scorsese's favourite Stanley Kubrick for movie. Okay. For movie, which is interesting. Sorry, sorry, uh, Scorsese, but you're wrong. Hmm. The last well, movie actually, Stan- I have I don't know. I don't know what a good Kubrick film is. I can't tell you. Actually, I mean, yeah, so neither whatever. do I. So, mm. well, allegedly the other five are better because they're all higher than this. So, well, apparently, they have more mainstream appeal, Douglas. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this might be telling. The last movie Stanley Kubrick made to not be rated R by the MPAA. Oh, every other film is rated R. Jeez. Woo-hoo. I didn't realize. Wait. Oh no. Was um, Doctor Strange Love before this? Or is that rated R? Ooh, and now you're testing my cinema knowledge. I feel like it was after... It was before. <laughs> 11 years before. 11 years prior. Okay, because what very small amount I do know about that, I feel like it's not... Uh, oh, it's got um, bloody Peter Sellers. Oh, Pete. 
Oh, Peter Sellers. Um, Dear Beauty. I had to watch um, Peter Sellers. I did a stage adaptation of The Lady Killers, um, Mm -hmm. which was a 1955 film directed by Alexander McKendrick, and uh, Peter Sellers played uh, my character. Um, in the film, so I had to I had to look at Peter Sellers and what he did. Um, Stanley Kubrick instructed Marissa Berenson to keep out of the sun in the months before production in order to achieve the period specific paler he required. Interesting. You mean power? That one. Yeah. <laughs> a love making scene between Barry and Lady Lyndon was filmed, but got cut out. Probably for the best. Probably to keep that uh, stay away oh, yeah. from the R rating. I would presume. Sweet, sweet PG rating. Yep. Yep. Gotta love it. Marissa Branson described Stanley Kubrick as being uncharacteristically shy around her and that he would often prefer to communicate his direction with numerous handwritten notes. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't know talk how to, to you. Take I'm going to give you a note. <laughs> That's very odd. Mm, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, because, again, it seems uncharacteristic of him. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I Interesting. Know. Weird guy. In a scene where Patrick McGee, who plays uh, Chevalier de Balabari, the dude with the, the heart and the diamond, was supposed mm-hmm. to deal cards, he began to sweat, and the sweat on his palms made it nearly impossible to deal cards smoothly. Stanley Kubrick brought in a professional card dealer and then realised that the card dealer's hands were smooth while McGee's were hairy. To prevent continuity problems, McGee's hands were shaved so the cuts would both look like him. <laughs> Fucking... Oh, what a... The extent... I mean- yeah, far out. What a, what a... <laughs> Production was moved from Ireland to England after Stanley Kubrick received word that his name was on an IRA hit list for directing a movie featuring English soldiers in Ireland. Consequently, several scenes were dropped. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking metal. Full metal jacket. Uh, many of the shots were composed and filmed in order to evoke certain 18th century paintings, especially those by Thomas Gainsborough. Oh, so were they actually... Intentionally, trying to like yeah. sort of match up. Yeah, mimic the That's style. That's cool. Okay. Mm. That's cool. Mm. I like that. Mm. Very neat. Filming took 300 days over a two-year span, beginning around May or June of 1973. The production suffered two major shutdowns, resulting in what was then considered a bloated $11 million budget. It was finally released in December of 1975. Hmm. That is a long time to be it's shooting a, a film. a long fucking filming period. Especially so, like, technically early on in Kubrick's career. Yuck. Yeah. Yeah, that's a rough one. Writer, producer, and director Stanley Kubrick called director Ken Russell in the early 1970s to ask him where he had found the locations for his period movies. Russell told him and Kubrick uh, used the locations in this movie. Several years later, Russell said, I felt quite chuffed. <laughs> <laughs> Can you guess where maybe Ken Russell is from? Who says chuffed again? Wait. He's from Hampshire. He's from England. Oh, okay. I'm just thinking of the Auntie Donna bit again. (laughs) Uh, I was hoping you'd be like, Australia! (laughs) And I was going to be like, "Mm mm-mm. Not quite. Bait and switch. Stanley Kubrick initially wanted to film William Makepeace Thackeray's most famous novel, Vanity Fair, but then decided that he couldn't do justice to his expansive plot within the limits of a three-hour movie. He then decided to film the memoirs of Barry Lyndon Esquire instead. The announcement of a television miniseries production contributed to his decision. Interesting. That kind of, yeah, stopped him dead in his tracks, allegedly. Um, yeah, that's about it. Oh, a director trademark is uh, wheelchairs. Uh, wheelchairs apparently make a thing in uh, Kubrick's films. Um, sure. <laughs> Sir, Charles, Sir Charles Lyndon is in a wheelchair. 
Oh, another one that I picked up. I'm not sure whether it's just in Barry Lyndon or if it's in his other films, but the camera starts like super zoomed in on something and then it slowly zooms out throughout the period of like a conversation or a scene until you get the whole big picture and like the the, the, the lens is out. It's like maximum zoomed outness. I don't know what the actual term for that is, but it does that, you know, and it gives you like the big, big picture. I thought that was really mm. cool. Yeah. That's nice. I, I, I appreciate when they do that. Mm, mm. Um, but yes, there you go. Barry Lyndon. Interesting. Lyndon. Well, Lyndon Barry. Lyndon Barry. Redmond Barry Lyndon. Oh, this one got included on Roger Ebert's great movies list. There you go. Ah. Did, he, did he, the review that you read, did he like it a lot? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He waxed lyrical about it. Mm. Um, I, don't, I don't agree with all of it, but he right. does make some pretty good points. So. Mm. Mm. Hmm. Um, well. Oh, fuck. Hang on. I just found, uh, oh, I'm so glad I I found this. Leon Vitale vomited for real during the final duel. He was given a mixed lunch of the heaviest ingredients they could find in the hope that it would nauseate him enough. When it didn't, he swallowed a raw egg whole, which he instantly regurgitated. Holy dolly. Fortunately for him, Stanley Kubrick was immediately satisfied and did not ask him to repeat the process. <laughs> a genuine rarity for Kubrick, who was notorious for shooting multiple takes. Fuck me dead. Could you imagine if you swallowed a raw egg and then Kubrick went, nah, I didn't feel it. One more time. Do it again. Yeah. Do it again. Swallow another egg, bitch. I would quit. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck, man. Well, if you enjoyed our egg-based trivia uh, and would like to listen to it again, perhaps in a week's time, uh, we put episodes out every week. Put them out midnight, Tuesday, Australian Eastern Standard Time, uh, which comes out to about uh, afternoon in Europe and morning in America. Both of those are on a Tuesday. Uh, if you want to contact us directly, you can email us at mail at 250.com uh, and you can check out our Instagram at 250pod, T-W-O-F-I-V-O-H-P-O-D. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Theezer Podcasts, Addict Podcasts, Amazon Music, Gamble, Google, Gamble, Gam, Amazon Home or uh, Google Echo uh, or wherever good podcasts are sold. Uh, we both have Letterboxd, which is a movie reviewing and tracking website that we're both a very big fan of. Uh, my account is Upa, that is U-U-U-P-A-H, and Douglas. Mine is I-E-N-Z-O-K-N-I-G-H-T, that's Yenzo Knight. I write more condensed versions of what I talk about here on the 250 as well as anything else that I've watched. And Jonathan here writes haikus. Hmm. Um, uh, I checked the mailbox. Uh, we have a YouTube comment from Taha <gasps> Marija. He says, uh, tell now French is rolling the country. We stopped to go outside because coved. What do you think about, uh, this very insightful <laughs> look into one of our favorite episodes, Wait, Douglas? read that again. Which, which episode is it from? It's from the Battle of Algiers. Okay. Taha Marija, uh, scholar of our time says, tell... Now French is rolling the country. We stopped to go outside because coved. Do I like C-O-V-D, coved. Yeah. <laughs> tell, wait, okay. Tell now French. Till Maybe till now French, France is running the country. Is that what they're trying to say? But what what country? I, I and don't now, know, man. But then also like the addendum of, well, we can't go outside because of coved. Yeah, we can't go outside because of coved. That's... <laughs> I've been in quarantine all this time. Yeah, uh, that coughed. It's got me. Got me on lockdown. That coughed nine. (laughs) 
tell now anyway. wow sorry we, I don't want I don't want to make fun of this person who is obviously very genuinely trying to convey something but I hmm maybe maybe they're genuinely trying to maybe say something just, or ma- <laughs> battle of allergies first thing that comes up I'm commenting <laughs> yeah yeah I got some shit first I need to say pops into my head yeah yeah <clears throat> wow but well truly yeah scholar of our time just like we are well. Well. Douglas. Yes, Jonathan. H- how do you rate this episode? Mm, like a good 2.5. Uh, 2.50. Yes. I'm pretty sure we made this joke before. Two- oh, really? Yeah, I think we did. Um, <laughs> you know what? I think I'm going to do better next time. Yeah. I feel like it wasn't high enough energy. Yeah. 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 You know what? Maybe I need another couple of coffees before we start the, uh, mm. next week's episode and then I'll, then I'll be kicking. I was just so I'm just so confused by this movie. It's it seems like you've had the same response to this film as I had to Andre Rublev. I didn't give Andre Rublev a rating on Letterboxd because I'm still so fucking uncertain about it. Hmm. I feel like I had the same uh, same feeling you had about Andre Rublev as Andre Rublev. Wait, I thought whatever. <laughs> I think we had the same I think we had the same response there. Jonathan is just stream of consciousness. Andre Rublev uh, is Andre Rublev. Amblev Jitrieblev. Amblev. Amblev Rublev. Alright. Thank you for tuning into the 25 We need guys. to we need to go. <laughs> this is bad. This is bad. It's normally a good ending when we're just like getting hyper and trailing off, but we're just getting like sleepy. It's just getting, yeah, dumber and dumber. Uh, everything in our everything in our in our systems is starting to wear off and yeah. we're just drawing. And running out of things to say. Jonathan has run out of batteries. Thank you for um, mm-hmm. tuning in to the next episode of the 250 where I put AA batteries inside of Jonathan. Bye. I can't wait for Douglas to just shove some batteries no, on my stop, asshole. No, stop. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.